as we anticipate the new series, uh, Gospel of John series in three weeks, like the May 19th, and we didn't want to start anything new uh, in the middle of uh, um, Mother's Day. And then next week, uh, Einstein will be preaching. Um, so I thought about okay, this rare opportunity that we could, I could speak on anything. What could be? Uh, what does our congregation need? And it made, made me think about um, our spiritual direction of the year. Remember, the direction for the Spirit of God has given us for the 2019 is to, to seek to be spiritually vital, individually, corporately, so that we would be ready for whatever God provides in us, like in this new year. The spiritual vitality... Um, is essential this week, this year. But the 14 weeks, as you have experienced, it's, it was indeed long and difficult. And sometimes those, the urgency and desperate need and desiring God doesn't come naturally. So I, I just, this uh, topic came to my mind. And I remember... Uh, it's been already six years. We did a series on exceeding joy in God in, nine, I think, 2013, around this time. And this is one of the messages that I preached, and I said, oh, this is exactly what we need in our um, season of this, uh, uh, you know, this year in our church. What to do when you don't desire God. Okay. Let's review our uh, spiritual direction statement. Eleventh um, anniversary Sunday. Uh, I shared this. Crossway's spiritual direction, which is the vision for 2019, is to seek to be spiritually vital in our everyday life, being ready to follow God's guidance no matter what this year brings. In Psalm 85, verse 6 was, Revive us, O Lord. Would you not make us glad in you again? Um, So what, what does it look like when you have need and you want to do something about that need? For example, you want to do something about your health. Um, so, you know, some of us struggle with um, the the aging symptoms and you know we need should be 
careful. Older you get, you need to care, be careful about your blood pressure and, and your cholesterol level and uh, your blood sugar level and all that. So you would do something about that. But what if we get the wrong idea about something and then just wacky ideas? Uh, like, for example, that so many of my failure in past years of trying to be healthy, um, I would work out at least five, six days a week but really didn't pay attention to my diet. So it really didn't help my, my health, overall health. Or some, sometimes a diet will be the one diet, like the potato diet or uh, banana diet. There is a, such a thing that the person eats as much as he or she could eat, but all you can eat is banana. I, I have no idea why they came up with that idea. Maybe the idea is you get sick of it, you just stop eating, so you have a low calorie. So even our spiritual vitality, there are some things that we need to be clear before we think about what to do with the scripture guidance, but what not to do would be so encouraging, uh, clear, encouragingly clear, and it will be helpful. So let's start with that. There are at least four what not to do. The one is, the first one is that don't manufacture your feelings for God. Why is that? It will lead you to hypocrisy and your faith will be sham. So one of the things about the modern worship is um, without knowing clearly what's going on in our lives, it could literally become me-centered, how I feel. I want to become inspired. I want to feel God close. So I will do such and such a thing. Maybe the raising hand will help, be helpful. Maybe think about some good things that I would feel, and I want speaker to inspire me. The manufacturing feelings for God is actually a really bad idea. Let's not go there. Secondly, don't blame others or circumstances. And it, it will paralyze you in victimization. For, for example, <clears throat> you could literally go into critical negative mode about anything that's happening at our church. And then if you decide to move away from okay, this circumstances to ne next circumstances, usually the people bring those problems with them. So it is not your home group leader's fault. It is not uh, your environment, your current state, your children's fault, your wife's fault, your, your husband's fault, your pastor's fault that everything happening in our, in our lives. So early days on, this was our spiritual axiom. I am responsible for my own spiritual vitality in this season of my life. 
when that was taken seriously, our lives were revolutionized. You know, typical things that when, um, in my case is, you know, my previous day, previous ministries, the luxury things that I have is I had a budget for my personal retreat and my my admin assistant will schedule my personal retreat and all things are covered. Then I could go and seek, you know, retreat center, seek to be spiritually vital and desire God and whatever it is. The beginning of our church plan in Crossway, I didn't even have church office. And then at home, our kids are seven and a half and five and a half, three and a half, uh, one and a half. Well, actually, maybe by the time when we're starting, we'll, we'll be a year later, so eight and a half every two years like that. So two kids being in a home, even during daytime, I just couldn't pay attention. Normalcy wasn't really, you know, happening at home. I had a choice. Woe is me, I, I don't have any place to go. And so when I declare that spiritual axiom, not to the other others, but starting with myself, you know, the holy, sacred place became Starbucks. Wearing ear uh, plug, ear earbuds, and hearing John Williams, the classic guitarist John Williams, not the contemporary music movie composer, and canceling out, and I met God, and those moments are very precious moments. But it took several, sometimes an hour or two, of wasting, to feeling like wasting time. So don't blame others. Let's take responsibility for our own spiritual vitality. And the Newport Beach Library is one of those hideouts I found out by seeking God and going to places to be alone with God. Not only the parks. Thirdly, don't replace it with dutifulness or willpower. You just need to suck it up and do it. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, there were a lot of external obedience. And what God is saying, because you have not served me with gladness. I, I think it's really the same thing that when I deal with my teenage boys, when I ask them to do something, and they will do in such a way that grumbling and just bad attitude. But as long as I do it, you're going to keep letting me do what I do kind of thing. So obviously God doesn't renew our heart in that. So this is not su such a thing about this dutiful and willpower. We become like the first son of prodigal son uh, parable. It will not please God's heart. And fourth and last thing, I intentionally 
left it as this, the last one, because this covers everyone, if not all three, all four. Don't remain passive. It will make your heart more hardened, unresponsive to God. I think it's more dangerous for people like us who really believe in grace of God, that our salvation is not by our effort, uh, not by works, but by grace, where we have been saved. So the idea is, oh, I, I, since I cannot contribute to my salvation, I, I must wait God to renew my heart. And in other words, I'm not responsible until God touched me. So I, I become passive. The central theme that you will hear through the uh, today's message is actually where the grace of God and our obedience and surrender and effort comes together. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty come together. Grace of God opposes, un, opposes our merits, desire to merit, and desire to deserve arriving at the deserving state then that will be no longer grace. But grace doesn't oppose our effort. The scripture is full of seek my face and at the same time, grace of God, sovereign grace of God saves you. It is not you who cho chose me, I have chosen you. So what not to do when you don't desire God? Don't manufacture your feelings for God. Don't blame others or circumstances. Don't replace it with dutifulness or willpower. And don't remain passive. Rather, when you don't desire God, fight for joy in God. When you fight for joy in God, Fight for joy in God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And obviously, this is the greatest command Jesus mentioned. I just replaced it with love the Lord your God with all your heart. Loving God is fighting for joy in God in that sense. Why do I share this message today? Because in, in my own life, in my family uh, prayer meetings, and we've been discouraged, um, and there are some dry seasons, and there are spiritual attacks. There are so many things that are going on. Now, how do we become spiritually vital this year? This is essential. Call, this is a radical call 
to fight for joy in God is an essential, essential to spiritual vitality. And I would submit to you as your pastor, the problem of losing saltiness as a Christian without a radical difference, countercultural difference, as, as a salty and attractive and bright that our Christian life is, is mainly because the neglect of this fight. Ignoring the call to fight the good fight of faith and fight for joy in God. We become too passive. There are four things we need to know, we should know in fighting for joy in God. And as we are thinking, as we think about each thing of these four things, my prayer is that we will be awakened to the need and to this good news rather than another guilt or dutifulness again. That awake weekend is all about for us to go through that together, but maybe preparation is necessary. Let's go with the first one. First thing to know is know why you must fight for joy in God. In today's uh, key scripture, then our moderator just read, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. And Jeremiah is speaking in the place of God, uh, for God, as his mouthpiece. So listen to this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two evils that Israelites back then they committed was they have forsaken me. They turned away from maybe the religious worship was going still going on on the external why, but the heart drifted away. They have forsaken me in the fountain of living waters. And then instead, they hewed out cisterns, not just cisterns, but broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Maybe another way of saying they cannot satisfy fully. Conceptually, this is simple enough. Theological truth is this. God created us with his purpose that our chief end is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That we will be completely satisfied in him and only in him, not apart from him. But because of fallen nature, we began to replace God with something else. Lest we think of all these bad things only, 
the cistern, broken cistern, could be very legitimate cisterns that everybody might encourage you. Wow, that's a really good, good thing you do. Such as our children. Can we really replace the place of God, the pleasure and joy and love and compassion and all those things are good, but if it replaces in the place of God, it becomes idle. Our career, our success, our wealth, and whatever that you might, it could be even hobby, or husband and wife, or family, and becomes broken system. So the reason why we must fight for joy in God is we need to recognize our broken system and go back to God. Here's a test that we could do. When God says, be appalled, O heavens, at this, be shocked and be utterly desolate, desolate. do we agree with him? Let's suppose, just to minimize shock, but bring that illustration you know, to, to a point. Let's say your kids, your daughter, 10-year-old daughter, or friend, just got raped. A group of boys, teenage boys, let's say. And you know her so well. And she's been in your house almost every day. We would say, be appalled, be shocked, be utterly desolate. This thing, this evil thing happened. Oh, let's just make it even worse. They got away with it. In not enough evidence. So judge or the court system failed and they were set free. No criminal charges. But maybe with 100 times more from God the Creator who is sovereign, who has created heavens and earth, and also human beings for his pleasure and his glory and his design. And his children are walking away and making broken cisterns. Coming to New Testament, Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 16.22, he says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The Apostle Paul's language is, um, you know, tamed in a way that the modern people can miss. If any Christian says 
their Christians have no love for our Lord Jesus Christ, let him go to hell. Let him damned forever. That's what he's saying. In our culture, it's okay. Like the, what, what is the kind of typical normal Christian life? The minimum thing that you might have to make is go to church on Sunday about 90 minutes. And then if things got worse in the, over the years, and it doesn't even have to be every Sunday, maybe every uh, two, twice a month, then you're a Christian. Uh, a nominal Christian, maybe quarterly event or going to church. Also too, but confession is that you're a Christian. And Apostle Paul's idea is do you love God? Do you, are you in love with God? Love with Jesus? This is greatest thing in your treasure in your life. No, I really like golf so much better these days. Oh, my children are so important. And then he will say, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. How about Jesus himself, Matthew 10, 37? One of the common teachings that they, he, he did in the midst of his most popular popularity, he says, whoever loves father and or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let me make it so clear for now before we go on. This is not to bring guilt. This is a reality of our life so that we may see what we are missing. What we are missing is joy. The theological truth is that our deepest joy is in Jesus Christ. And we will be most satisfied in God and everything else doesn't even come close. It is broken system. And if you choose to live this way and consistently with broken system, you, are, you might not belong to God. But if you sense, at least from time to time, yearning and deep longing for, I, I, I miss the times that I felt and really loved the scripture that I was reading. And then the songs became my songs, the God speaking to me. I, I, filled with gratitude. So what, we, what I'm going through this dry desert and I feel this momentary spurts of entertainment, joy, and other things, I know I belong to God. You are missing something. As if your children uh, took a trip and then he, he or she enjoys so, so much. You can never think of this way, right? I don't miss mom and dad. Maybe first two days, right, they enjoy so much. But what if it's two weeks, two months? 
They don't want to come back. If I go back, there will be rules, and what you know, I can't play games on after certain hours, and I have to go to certain hours. I have to come home certain hours. But it's not the guilt. How much you don't you miss your dad and mom? Don't you miss the warmth of your family? John Piper has this uh, illustration on this point, and which is, I, I think, is brilliant and fantastic. It says, uh, to enjoy one ice cream flavor over the other is morally neutral. My wife, Kate, likes chocolate mint, mint chips. I don't like chocolate mint chips. I like vanilla sweets almond, Hagen does, friend. It, it is the bomb. <laughs> but if you don't like vanilla sweets almond, it is more neutral. It is your your taste, your style. But if you are a Christ follower, this is not a style or preference. Uh, you know, he's really serious about loving God. I'm, I'm okay where I am. Is not morally neutral. It is appalling God. And it is the lies of the world luring us. The call to fight for joy in God is really not optional. It is the most crucial call for all Christ followers. I know I'm being redundant, but I need to repeat this again. It's not call for dutifulness and your guilt is a right response, but it is call for joy. The maximum joy that you are missing out if you think certain things are more joyful and pleasurable. The biggest lie that we have in American Culture, evangelical culture is a maximum joy equals minimum. Maximum God, maximizing God equals minimizing my joy. Maximizing God must be, I give a lot of money to offering and I go to missions. And I don't get to enjoy my toys. But actually, if we believe the scripture as it, it is true to each one of us, we're missing out if God's glory is maximized in our lives. If, the, if God doesn't receive our full heart 
and loving him and seeking joy and glorify, glorifying him. And in that glorifying God, our enjoying God is there. So first thing we need to know, we need to know why we must fight for enjoying God. And second thing is know what you're fighting for. The fighting for is not a credit, it's not meriting something, it's fighting for joy, to be happy. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. And Psalm 90.14 says, this is Moses' prayer, satisfies us in the morning with your steadfast love that you may, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. David in Psalm 43, verse 4, says, I, Then I will go to God, my exceeding joy. In Psalm 34, David says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Could you entertain this thought with me for now? What if we make it a resolution, individual resolve and corporate resolve? I'm going to do everything in my strength and power to seek to be happy every day, no matter what happens in my life. That sounds good. My, my mission right now, this coming weeks, is joy. Finding joy in God every day. And it will free us from all this dutifulness. See, we are to seek our joy not above God, but in God. Those are not two different things. So Piper's, John Piper's famous quote, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. That is absolutely true. The fight is making God our deepest joy and greatest treasure in all things. Um, I, I need to be careful about this illustration because it, we, lest I don't be careful, it's going to be about my marriage. It's about our relationship with God. But I think something that is really true in, our, in my daily life and in my marriage is also has a parallel principle as well. 20-some years of marriage, honestly, I don't get up and go, wow, this is my beautiful wife. I used to call it beautiful Kate. That's MBK came from. My beautiful Kate. 
Holland case from there. And then I just adored her. After 20 years, some, some years, my desire for my wife, uh, doesn't come naturally. Annoyance, conflict happens. And the incredible thing, I mean, sad thing for me, back in the days when I fell in love and that at wedding day, I felt like that emotion, the feeling that I could have, I could sustain it for life. So I'm truly the typical romantic, you know, I, I could do that. I thought, but I was appalled to think that if I don't do anything, such and such thing, it's like drifting away from the water when you're going in the, you know, going into the ocean. If you don't careful, you drift away and away, and then you, once you find out that you are far away from. So let me confess this. If you ask me, do you love your wife, Kate? Yes, I do. But if you ask me, do you love in a way that you all feelings are taken over, it's just free ride? No, it's not. But each time when I take responsibility and then live out that moment of my commitment, my per perpetual commitment to love her each day, to make that commitment each day, I get the feelings. And if you ask me, oh, okay, what, what's your, you know, we used to have a date lunch and now Monday, you know, date dinner, it's very simple. We don't plan anything. You choose one week and I choose the other week and we take on the, you know, take turn. And to, we go there and we share. Sometimes it's a very mundane conversation of what kids are going through this week and what we need to do in terms of pick up and providing you know, the teamwork with each other. And next weekend, she's going to be gone, so I'm going to be Mr. Mom, and she's filling me all this to-do list. So every time when I walk away, I don't feel like, oh, I'm so glad that we had that dinner. I so feel in love with her and all these romantic feelings. But to do that consistently, there's sometimes in a split second of moment, I have this the, uh, fresh memories and, and feelings that I used to have and regurgitate in a new way. And I have so much affection. And I could honestly say, before God and these witnesses, the same way I love my wife 
with all my heart. Okay, you compare 50-some years old guy, and a typical marriage is by default mode is just putting up with each other. Okay, divorce is not an option, so you, you could use a separate rooms and as long as you don't bother each other. That is maybe more convenient way of living. And here, uh, there is a the effort and heartache for resolving conflict and sharing broken, uh, vulnerable things with each other, hard work, but this is a genuine joy. And I hope our children sees that, that marriage doesn't come naturally, but it is worth it. In our Christian life, in every day, it could be just a typical, normal, even today, and same sad Sunday, coming together. And when you go to home group, when you go to men's group, women's group, it will be the same thing. And if you begin to ask, oh, what, do I, what do I get out of? Sometimes you might not get at anything. But when you think about that big picture of God is most satisfied in me when I'm most glorified in me, when I'm most satisfied in him, that these individual efforts is worth it. Fight for joy in God. That is the call. Jesus sharing uh, teaching in the middle of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13, 44 is like treasure in the hidden, treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that bill. Okay, one way of listening is that, oh, he had to sacrifice everything, dutifulness. But if you pay attention, then in his joy, his motive and his mood of operation was joy. There's nothing to lose there. A.W. Tozer is one that I go back over and over, and he writes in his uh, Pursuit of God in 1940s, he has written the, these words, but is as relevant and crisp reality for our spirituality in 2019. He writes, in the midst of this great chill, there are some I rejoice to acknowledge who will not be content with shallow logic. They will admit the force of the argument and then turn away from, with tears to hunt some lonely place and pray, O oh God, show me thy glory. They want to taste and to touch with their hearts, to see with their inner eyes the wonder that is God. I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality of our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. 
acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad. With, with many of us, he waits too long. So very long. In vain. There are two more things that we need to, we should know. Number three, know what, whom or what you are fighting against. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this wor world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is the evil one he is cunning. His job is just blinding us into the deepest joy and the glory that we ought to experience in as, a, as a Christ followers. And the unbelievers don't see that. That's why they don't receive Christ. Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Number one enemy is the evil one who is blinding us. Number two, the deceitfulness of sin. First John 2, 15 and 16. Lest we think that that everything's on the outside. Um, the sin within us is continually, uh, our fallen self is a, the enemy. The, another enemy is the world. The do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the wor world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. We are up against this current. Because what world is providing constant message in commercials? And even the, the whole thing about the Orange County culture is exactly that, isn't it? Will we choose Christ over affluence and comfort? First Peter 5, 8. This will be our key verse in Awake Weekend. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So when we are in this fight, there are enemies who is distracting us, who is lying to us, who will pull us down. The evil one, the world and self. Fourth and last one, know the nature of the fight you are engaged in. See if you could see what I mentioned about undercurrent theme of all this message. 
Galatians 5.22 speaks to one direction, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Free gift of Spirit is joy. Grace is joy. Grace is it's not something that you earn. You credit anything. You merit. That's one side. Joy is grace. Joy is gift. On the other side, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And this is the expression that we are using. Fight the good, good fight of the fight. The fight, the fight joy in God means this is an intentionality. This is an intentional pursuit, pursuit and, and discipline as well. Isn't it? And then combining all two, look at verse chap, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Two things are in there together. Grace and our pursuit. Free gift and our effort. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Treasure meaning the glory of Christ. The glory... Christ himself, the gospel, that is the treasure. But where do we have? In jars of tray, clay, our broken self, the fragile self, to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So if you, are, if you have a treasure in this jar, you will not swing around. You will be cautious, intentionally because it's a fragile. Yourself and me is very fragile. By default, we don't go to God. By default, we drift away from God because of our fallen heart, because of our brokenness. So if the two things are the nature of the fight, we are to fight with humility and spirit dependence. Not as an accomplishment. Let me conclude because I want to spend enough time in our congregation. My encouragement to each one of us is to think about how we have been living. So now that, uh, you know, 14 weeks of uh, fasting and prayer chain is ended, we're free to do whatever we want to do. But think about that side of that I mentioned. Am I missing joy? Is joy provided for me? So how should I approach? Brothers and sisters, I would really hope to, to, to see that every single one of us today would hear the call. Call to joy. Call to fight for joy in God. Let's pray.